0: Diane and I had a friend at another church that we used to go to. His name was Andy Cook. And he was a character. And Andy would occasionally come up to the candle table in that church, which was similar to this, and he would take out usually a cigarette lighter and light a candle, and then he would say, Forty-two. And then he would go sit down again. (laughs) I didn't totally understand the whole story, but I knew, you know, that I knew that this was the answer. At least according to one computer who had studied it for uh, a long, long, long time. According to the story, the computer named Deep Thought spent seven and a half generations computing the ultimate question of life. Life, the universe, and everything, which is, after all, the big question. And also, rightly predicted that the people would not like the answer, (laughs) namely 42. One of the great truths about human beings is that we love to interpret words and ideas, we like to think about what things mean, and especially if they're weird. What does that mean? What does that message mean is an ever-popular question. In seminary, they tell you or teach us how to take a word from a religious text or a phrase or a verse from a religious text and then sort of decipher it and look at all the different possible meanings it might have. So I'm going to give that a whirl this morning with this Uh, text, what does it mean? And I am going to begin with a baseball interpretation. (laughs) Because I cannot leave without doing that. What is the significance of 42 in baseball? All right, I'm going to tell you. It has a very special meaning. 42 is the number that Jackie Robinson wore when he came up into the major leagues as the first African-American player. And he endured abuse, horrible abuse, from players, from fans. They called him names. They threw stuff at him. And he somehow, despite the fact that it was tremendously upsetting, went through all that, and became one of the finest baseball players, really, ever. In 1997, April 15th, the commissioner of baseball retired the number 42. No one can ever use that number again, because that number is Jackie Robinson. And so it's an honor, it's a recognition it's a statement, and once a year, all the baseball players wear 42 on that day. Every single one of them, they wear 42. So, in the world of baseball, which is part of my sacred universe, and you know, I just wanna tell you, the next minister probably won't do that to you. <laughs> that number is a sacred number, and it can no longer be used by any ordinary baseball player. All right, so if we go down that path of interpretation, then 42 really stands for freedom. 42 is the number of freedom and equality. All right, that's one. (laughs) There is a kind of literalistic way of looking at 42, and Peg helped me Uh, onto this, and then I found some other information about it, is that computers use codes to store information. So every character has a code that can be expressed as a number, and exclamation point has a code that can be expressed as a number, and every character that can be printed or used can be expressed as a number. So we might ask ourselves, well, what does 42 Mean? What does it represent a character? And it turns out that at least in one of the codes, it represents an asterisk. And when computer people talk about that, they also call it star sometimes. What does asterisk mean? Well, if you're looking at a whole bunch of files um, and you want to look at all files of a certain type, you'd say say, um, star... Dot com, for example. That would be all the dot com files. All of them. That star means everything. And if you wanted to say every file in a certain system or maybe even in the universe, you could say star dot star and that would be everything. That would be the totality of all the files. Every one that is in that universe of, of uh, computing. So in a sense, the asterisk or the star is a symbol of inclusivity. It's everything. So I kind of like that. I think that's a nice symbol. And uh, if you want to go, those who want to go down the theistic path, I'll tell you how that fits in because we have to include that as well. Um, Michael Dowd who spoke in this church about six or seven years ago. I don't he's, he's a guy who thinks that there's a, a powerful connection to be made between science and religion, and his, part of his theology is that uh, the totality of the universe, everything, taken together, is what he calls God. So the total inclusiveness of everything can be interpreted theistically. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. And he's a wonderful, exciting guy. So I think that's a nice little uh, path for exploration of, of 42. Now, one of the problems with these interpretations is that at least I read something by Douglas Adams which said he didn't have anything special in mind when he said for you. <laughs> so that's a problem. <laughs> it's not an insurmountable problem because we know that artists in general when they create works of art, they are not conscious of all the meanings of their work of art. That's obvious, right? And that's why people can make a living going around saying what those things mean. And the artist would, many artists say, well, you know, I just, yeah, that's, that's what I felt like doing, you know. So it doesn't mean that there aren't other meanings in what they do. They may be unconscious. But I will say that what really seems more likely to me uh, is that, and this is another possibility, is that 42 is a way of saying that there isn't any answer. It's a way of saying that there isn't any answer. And in this regard, I'm reminded of the first sentence of the Tao Te Ching, wonderful old Chinese um, classic. And you may even remember this, the first sentence of the Tao Te Ching says that the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. Now this is a powerful, powerful statement because part of what it says is that every time, if you're trying to describe life, the universe, and everything in ultimate reality, and if you say something about it, that will be wrong. That's that's what it says. You can say anything you want and it will not be the right answer. And this is one of our dilemmas in trying to talk to each other about things like this is the limitation of words. That some things words just can't do. So going down that path, there isn't any answer. But let's, let me modify that slightly. There isn't any answer that can be spoken. The Tao does not say there isn't any true Tao. It just says you can't say it. So there might be an answer, but it might be something that can't be said in words or symbols. It might be something that we sometimes call pre-verbal. It's it's something that is real, but you just can't say it. And this is why the computer knew that the people were not gonna (laughs) like the answer. Because there isn't any answer, at least by this way of thinking about it. Part of why that is true is because speech is about making distinctions. You know, this is a book and this is not a book. So that's the way we think most of the time. We say, those are windows and these are pews. Not the same thing. So we keep dividing stuff up more and more and more and we make finer and finer distinctions and write books about it, and then other people criticize those books. But what, if you go back to the idea of everything, speech is not about everything simultaneously. It's about parts of reality. And so if you're trying to say something about everything, actually speech might not be adequate to that. There There is a piece from Joseph Campbell, that I will share with you. Joseph Campbell has certainly been an inspiration in my life. Uh, Joseph Campbell says this, he says, people say that what we're all seeking is a meaning for life. I don't think that's what we're really seeking. I think what we're seeking is an experience of being alive so that our experiences in the physical world will have resonances with our innermost being and reality so that we actually feel the rapture of being alive. That's what it's finally about, experience of life. The mind has to do with meaning. What's the meaning of a flower? There's a story about Buddha asking the question, what's the meaning of a flower? And one person just held up the flower. So it's not an answer, it's an experience. Campbell says, there's no meaning. What's the meaning of the universe? What's the meaning of a flea? It's just there, that's it. We are so engaged in doing things to achieve purposes of outer value that we forget that the inner value, the rapture that is associated with being alive, is what it's all about. So, another path. I want to acknowledge this morning the pathway that even uh, even taking into consideration there's no meaning, there is a kind of absurdity about this answer of 42. And for many people, it's a, it's a joke. It's a cosmic joke. And so if we can laugh at that joke, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And maybe that's enough. Maybe the humor of it is enough. And maybe the humor of it is related to what Campbell calls being alive, the quality of our aliveness that brings joy and fulfillment. So we're called then to be on this adventure of being alive, moment by moment, as it unfolds, to respond to the present with our full aliveness, our full attention i remember in seminary reading um, a description of what is worship this one comes from charles hartson who was a unitarian said worship is paying attention with the full awareness of our being paying attention so we're called at every moment into this Invitation to be present, to be alive, to pay attention. You know, all of these great stories like Hitchhiker's Guide and the great science fiction stories invite us to think of our lives as like being on a spaceship. And I think that's a good analogy for the church, actually. Some of you are interested in it. <laughs> yeah, think of the Earth as a spaceship, the, the church. You could think of the Earth, too. We are on the adventure, too. And every day there's a new something that happens, a new adventure. And one of the things that I learned from watching Star Trek in particular is that I would watch a certain series for a while and I would get very attached to that captain. You know, Captain Picard or whoever it might be. And I would think, boy, that is really, the, that's the real captain. That's the right captain for that ship. And then what would happen is that series would go off and there would be a new series and there would be a different captain. And I would say, what? You can't have a different captain on the ship. It's Captain Picard. He's the guy. And then after a while, I would realize that I really liked the new captain, too. And that new captain might have characteristics that Captain Picard didn't have. And these captains come in all flavors, by the way. (laughs) Different colors, different genders. Some of them were different species if you saw some of the people on other ships. And so I learned from that that there are many possibilities for good captains in the world. There are many possibilities. I think that this church will find that to be true as well. I think that will happen. We will find that there are capable leaders in the universe in various places. And then that will be quite a revelation, I think. And so, that brings us to the present moment. This moment. It is time now for me to leave off theologizing. And I'm going to switch to gratitude. I have been so appreciative of fine leaders in this church over these 27 years. Just really fine leaders. And that is why we've done some things pretty well. It would take a few centuries to mention them all. (laughs) But... I want to thank uh, Captain Nora Sullivan for her fine leadership of the board. And as you probably know already, she has all the qualities to lead, to captain the ship through the transition. (coughs) She has that. How fortunate. And her board members, they're not really her board members, I guess, but they're our board members are dedicated and smart people who are going to steer the ship in the right direction. Our officers, you know, they have number one and data and all those people. I haven't matched the church people up with those. I'm not going to do it either. Our officers, sometimes known as the administrative team, are fully capable of managing the work of this church. One of the things I'm going to tell Reverend Dave about this church is that people are already managing this church. You don't have to come in and fix it. There may be refinements somewhere, but it's working. Nancy Rakoff and Nancy Taylor and Amy Pop and Jan Force are fine <laughs> staff people. They're just total professionals. I don't have to, I'm not worried about whether they're doing their jobs. I'm just, Asking them, what have, what have you done lately? <laughs> Not in that way. <laughs> Do you see how everything that is said can be interpreted in various ways? <laughs> Do you get that? This is the problem with language, folks. And it has some advantages, too. Uh, I want to thank uh, the, the ministerial assistants, Rick Graue and Dave Wyman, who have done, really helped me do things that I could not have possibly have done without their help. There have been a few discipline problems with them. (laughs) But nothing serious. I am so grateful that we laugh in this church. I am so grateful for that. And we have, I want to, just say something about Char Rickey, who is the chair of Caring. All of these events that we have had to respond to that have been heart-wrenching in some cases, our Caring Committee has been so good. And I would gladly mention every committee, but I've been told not to go too long. (laughs) I want to give my appreciation to Reverend Linda White, who has brought a different style of ministry into the church, a kind of grace and a kind of depth, which I just greatly appreciate. And it has been such a, um, a way of seeing new options. So, and just being there in times when I couldn't necessarily be there, I'm so grateful. Linda so there, there are many many more there are many many almost everybody here so this ship is hurtling through space and people are just taking care of things they're just doing all kinds of uh, contributions that create a totality, a synergistic totality, which is a special place to be. This place is special. It's not the only special place in the world, but it's one of them. And there are not special places on every corner. I want to tell you that I really feel fortunate that I came here. You know, it's partly just luck who, I mean, a church is searching, a minister is searching. Diane and I had this as our number one choice. And I am just so, I feel so fortunate that this is where we landed. I did not plan to stay here 27 years, though, I'll tell you. (laughs) I didn't have a plan about that. We didn't have a plan about that. My plan was to try to find something to talk about on the first Sunday. (laughs) That was the plan right there. (laughs) It's been a great adventure. And you, all together are gonna lead this ship through the new adventures yet to occur. That's what's gonna happen here. There are gonna be some new adventures. I don't know what's gonna happen, but something's gonna happen and you all will be engaged with that. And I'm kind of envious in a way, although I know it's not fair for me to say that, but I was looking at the <coughs> songs the choir was rehearsing this morning. And said, I wanna sing those songs. <laughs> How come I don't get to sing those songs? <laughs> Then I realized I created that. <laughs> Diane and I are excited about our own adventures ahead, and we are also experiencing the pain of leaving as well, as you might expect. I hope that the rest of my life will be as fulfilling as this time has been. I would be a very fortunate person if that were true. I want to remind you once more to be good to each other. To be good to each other. Hosea Ballou says uh, if we agree in love, no other disagreement can harm us. If we agree in love, no other disagreement can harm us. We can go through anything really. If we care for each other and work together, it can be solved. I ask you to support the common purpose of the church and to take time to celebrate. One of the things I believe about religious communities is that we should have fun. I am convinced that that is true, that we need to practice the spiritual discipline of fun. That's part of it. Be good to this wonderful man, David Clements, who's going to arrive here not knowing whether you're going to eat him alive or, <laughs> or bring him a casserole. <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> bring him a casserole.
1: <laughs>
0: He's going to be so happy and so encouraged, and then he will know who you are. And that will, that will be the beginning. <laughs> I would like to suggest that we do not need to worry too much about whether we can state with total clarity the truth about life, the universe, and everything. I don't think we have to worry about that too much. Although it's fun talking about it, and we will continue to talk about it but we don't have to find the final answer. We can be on the path, we can be on the great adventure that is unfolding moment by moment and as good, loving comrades, we will meet those challenges as they arise. I know that is true. so much for these years.